0: everybody welcome back to the exit velo podcast it's time for episode number 77 i'm henry hosting tonight joined by my good pal adam and ready to talk a little bit of baseball with you all adam how's it going man
1: i'm doing pretty well i would like to see the yankees be a little better you can see my yankee no parking sign in the background but hey that's life and i'm just happy that baseball's back and A lot of very good players this season, and a lot of very interesting topics that we're going to discuss about this past week.
0: And and the beautiful thing, too, is we got 162 games to work out those rough stretches this year. If it was 2020 still, I would be absolutely panicked about my Chicago Cubs right now, and I'm still not feeling great. I think we've got some serious issues that may not work out over 162 games either, but at least we got the chance, man.
1: Yeah, it's just a long season. I think a lot of people are judging how players are doing through the first 20-plus games because, hey, that would have been a third of the season last year. So maybe we're a little bit too quick to judge and players even out throughout the season. So we'll see how players truly are by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing more kind of uh, just normalized stats and everything. You have more time to work out those cold stretches, whereas last year a slump could – very well last the whole season. We saw that for a lot of guys, but yeah, it is kind of weird to recalibrate back into that normal baseball mindset after the 2020 adjustments we had to make. But without further ado, let's jump into some of that 2021 baseball action and probably the most notable, actually there was a great series that we're going to cover too, but one of the most notable things of the weekend, Madison Bumgarner throwing a no-hitter or did he it was a seven inning doubleheader uh on sunday the diamondbacks did that against the atlanta braves very strong offensive team who actually has has been slow starting and still though you know uh, not a not a nothing offense uh tough to no hit nonetheless but a little bit of controversy in this no no for mad bum given that it was only seven innings and officially it will not go down in the mlb record book
1: I never understood why it wouldn't go down. I understand that baseball is a nine-inning game, so you have to throw a no-hitter for nine-innings to get that credential. But if the game is <laughs> – I like the backyard he just put in backyard baseball. I love it. <laughs> but if you throw a five-inning game and it rains out and it's no-hitter or a perfect game, it should count because you wouldn't know. There's nothing the pitcher could have done to change those events. There's nothing Bumgarner could have done to prolong the game and ask for two innings. That's how and this game is especially unique because those were the parameters set before the game began. That it was gonna be a seven inning game. It's not it wasn't rained out, it wasn't anything else. It was just a normal, now normal, seven inning game. And I'm disappointed that it won't be official.
0: And yeah, I think the second half of that argument is really where I hop on too. in that, you know, he didn't have any more scheduled innings to pitch. This was the game that MLB gave to him and he did the absolute best he could other than perhaps a perfect game. But still, nobody got a hit in those seven innings that were scheduled. And I would kind of get it too, you know, if it's like a four inning range shortened, I guess the game wouldn't be official with four innings, but you get what I mean, man. You know, this was like what the game was supposed to be. And he didn't allow a hit, so it really does kind of suck for Madison Bumgarner. He seemed to be uh, taking it all in stride, though. I know he cracked a couple jokes in the post-game interview about um, about it not counting, but it, it, it is unfortunate that that one won't be recognized in the MLB record book. Because still, you know, a historic performance going out there, not allowing any hits.
1: Also, just to play devil's advocate a little bit. If you, you can carry a no hitter into the 10th inning and past the 9th inning, essentially, so I, I don't get why. I mean, I guess for that point, like you've already like gone past the bare minimum, you've gone past the quali- qualifications. So I guess it makes a little more sense, but it's still not just nine innings. They still went the distance as however far they could, however far the game permitted them throughout the course of the game. I
0: completely agree, and kind of the other argument I've heard in this as well is, you know, every other stat counts from this game. Uh, home runs are counting from it, strikeouts are counting from it. Uh, it helps your batting average if a guy goes on to break Barry Bonds' a single season home run record, and some of those came in a seven inning doubleheader. It's still going to count towards that record. So it's it's just kind of weird that you're arbitrarily drawing the line on on what counts and what doesn't. Uh, in defense of the league, I guess it is a rule that's been in place for the last, like, 30, 40 years or something. It, it wasn't something that they put in specifically just with these seven-inning doubleheaders. Uh, it was just a rule that blanket any game that is not nine innings is not uh, officially recognized as a no-hitter.
1: I wonder, I, I highly doubt it would gain any traction, but I do wonder if because of this new era of having seven-inning headers, and granted, this might only just last... This year, maybe a little bit in 2022 because of the pandemic, but if this is something to stay, then they should change the ruling a bit because this is now an official game. This is not something that will be unique if this stays within Major League Baseball. I think it will stay in the Major League Baseball because it, it's easier for teams, it's easier for the fans, and I think everyone's kind of happier of 7 games too.
0: I think it definitely sounds like something that's going to be sticking around for at least the near future. Uh, Maybe it's something that's worked in officially into the CBA uh, that's coming after this season, but yeah, if it's going to be a part of the game moving forward, then I think you should definitely at least consider how you look at these no hitters when they do occur in these games. I mean, at least like, count it with an asterisk or something. I believe games prior to that rule being um, instated 30 years ago or so, there are like a rain out, there is a rainout doubleheader, a couple in the record books, that have asterisks next to them. and I don't know, at least some way to kind of recognize it. But for the fans who were there and for Mad Bum, they know that he allowed no hits in that outing, so I guess that's worth something.
1: Yeah, I just found it like so funny how Major League Baseball and just all the clubs, like seven uh, innings without a hit for Magum, like they specifically avoided no hitter. <laughs> they were just trying so hard to just avoid that terminology because they don't count it officially. So it was just funny to see all the videos from Major League Baseball not say that.
0: Yeah, kind of having to do some acrobatics into how you describe that and the MLB Twitter account, how do you <laughs> – I don't know what what exactly was said, a, a seven inning shutout in which, uh, I don't know. Like you, Yeah, you gotta do some language acrobatics to make that work and, and still hype up the amazing performance that it was without using that exact terminology. It's like when you're trying not to jinx the no hitter uh, going into-
1: <laughs> Exactly. I'm
0: always, yeah, I'm always watching uh, with my fiance and I'm like, this pitcher is doing so good right now that I can't even tell you exactly how good he is doing. and. Usually that works. Uh, but, yeah, yeah it, it's it's a weird situation all around. But staying in the NL West along with those Diamondbacks, there was an amazing series this weekend, man. Very much a playoff atmosphere in April between the Padres and the Dodgers. And this was already part two of that season series. They'd met a week or two earlier as well. Um the Padres end up taking this weekend series 2 games to 1 but that was must watch baseball.
1: And every game was close too. I remember there was this I think it was either the first or second game of the series where the Dodgers had a 7-1 lead over the Padres and the Padres end up coming victorious in and that game. And that was that should have been the first blown out, but they're just such a, they're both just such talented teams that no one's really out of it. And then in the final game of course There was actually some controversy with Fernando Tatis Jr., who might have been looking at the catcher's uh, signals, and he hit a home run off Trevor Bauer. Not actually one home run, two homers. So, and apparently in that bat, I looked at from John Boy Media, which is fastball slider. He threw a cutter way outside the plate. It hits one over the fence. So he pulled it too. Yeah
0: a way pitch way outside and a, perhaps a little suspicious that he was able to get around and pull that at and the video didn't look great he's kind of blatantly like looking down at the catcher and you could almost see Will Smith too the Dodgers catcher is like is like a look of like panic after he puts <laughs> up but Tatis is like i think he just looked at the sign
1: yeah also there's just so much energy in the home runs too because Tatis Jr is a savage as is Trevor Bauer, because when he was going around the bases, he was doing the Travis ba- or Trevor Bauer strut, or he did, like, the little um, – he put his hand over his eye because Bauer was pitching one eye close. So there's already so much animosity between two of the biggest juggernauts in baseball.
0: That's exactly what the game needs, too. Like, two of the most – best the best teams in baseball are the two most fun to watch, and they hate each other. They hate each other's guts. They play in the same division. It's going to be an awesome rivalry for years to come. And these are teams that are going to be fighting for that NL West uh, division championship for years to come and should both be playoff teams still, but we definitely got a preview of, of playoff type baseball this weekend.
1: And it's more so than any other two teams facing off against each other. And the best thing MLB can do with this is market it so well. I don't know if you watch MLB quit pitch every day. That's something I try to do just to see all the games happening, but they should have that as the first game shown every single time and hype it up. But sometimes they'll have it like in the middle of the quick pitch where they go through each team or at towards the end, which makes no sense because they'll put like a random team there. I think, I think even with Bumgarner's no hitter, I think they like showed the first game first and then went to the second game, which made some sense. But you should show the most important things happening. And a lot of times they'll go to East Center teams like the Yankees or Red Sox, but not teams like out West who are really shaking up baseball.
0: Yeah, that East Coast bias poking its head again, man. That is something that I don't want to say has plagued the game because, I mean, there's so many people on the East Coast that are passionate about baseball, love baseball. I'd say me and you included, but, you know, there's some exciting ball being played out on the West Coast. You got some of the biggest stars in the game, and Tatis, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout as well out there, Shohei Otani, uh, one of the big growing stars in the game. You got to. Find a way to better these market these guys and get as many of these Dodger Padres games on national TV broadcast as possible. And certainly, you know, with quick pitch as well, too, you want to lead off with that that big series, those big highlights. And I mean, I kind of feel like, too, like the East Coast people are, are going to be watching anyways, you know, like you got to be trying to grow the game in the West Coast. I think MLB could do a better job of leaning into that.
1: Or how every single game should be the front page of MLB's Instagram, because their Instagram's getting better, and they're mm. being more exciting. They're trying to get more of MLB's players' voices heard and really look at the tangible, unique moments of baseball. But every single game of that series should be listed there, and they should highlight the moments between each game, because everyone, anyone who's a big baseball fan is tuning in.
0: Absolutely, man. They need to do a little bit better job of that um and especially when you got a generational talent like fernando tatis jr who is just so much fun so swaggy so easy to market you see him on the cover of mlb the show that was released last week and when we last uh talked on the on the exit Velo podcast he was sidelined with a shoulder injury that looked pretty serious pretty ugly uh like a near dislocation in his shoulder, something that they were saying could hold him out like for months potentially. Turns out he misses pretty much the minimum. It was like a 10 day absence for Tatis, and he was back. It, it took him a couple games to find his groove, but he homered five times over this three game series, including the two we mentioned to Trevor Bauer. He actually took Clayton Kershaw deep twice. Uh, And I'm not sure exactly who pitched that other game, but given the Dodgers and the state of their pitching, I'm sure it was somebody else very talented as well. So just an amazing weekend for one of the brightest young stars in the game.
1: And offensively, I certainly agree with you. I think he has the highest ceiling, as you mentioned, slugging five home runs in three games against the Dodgers. But defensively, he actually has been a bit of a concern as well. He has given up nine errors so far, which – Feels bizarre because he has an electric arm. He was above average defensively last year, and I have no idea why he's stressed Maybe it's because of that shoulder discomfort, but that would affect him hitting wise too. So it probably isn't that. It's probably more his glove work because maybe a lot of these talented shortstops, such as himself, they can make the hard plays very look like look easy. But then the easy routine plays—that's the one where they throw away or they bobble and they their glove work works a little bit shoddy.
0: Yeah, I've seen that with with my dude Javi Baez a little bit, too. It can make the spectacular ones, and then sometimes there's just the the most head-scratching routine plays that just end up being an issue for whatever reason. And, and I don't know, maybe guys who are that supremely athletic and exciting on defense to just get bored with the routine plays. That, that's probably just conjecture on my point. I don't want to act like a criticism of Tatis or, or Baez or any of the young flashy guys like that, I'm sure, you know, they're MLB ball players capable of making any play. It's it just, you know, maybe being a younger guy too, getting more reps and still growing as a defender, which it, it has been weird so far in the early going, but it, it seems like something that hopefully you should be able to figure out. But Hey man, if you're hitting five home runs a series, I think you'll, you'll still come out positive war wise.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree. It's certainly one of the best, players in baseball he's becoming the face of baseball but there's still a lot of really good players in major league baseball right now and one of them of course is jacob DeGrom, who going back to the east coast now he's been electric this season he has a 0.31 era he has 50 strikeouts in his first four starts the most of all time and he also somehow is throwing harder which makes absolutely no sense this man came back from Tommy John surgery at the start of his career. And at the start of his career, originally he was drafted as a shortstop Then, just throws harder when he returns, throws harder as he gets older. And he's starting to, I think he's in his thirties now and is just improving upon himself. He's kind of like the Mike Trout of pitching at this point.
0: Yeah, he's he's 32 years old, which is insane to see the velocity. I mean, and you know that's not ancient by any means for a pitcher, but that's that's not really when we typically see a guy's velocity like continue to tick up like it has for Degrom. 33 percent of his pitches this season have been 99 miles per hour or faster. His previous career high was 17 percent of his pitches. That was last year, so it, it has been steady steady movement up in the velocity and in the performance really too. He's been like at the top of his game for the past five years and the top of all of baseball. And He does. He just continues to one-up himself and one-up everybody else in the game. He is absolutely amazing and has shown that even with the other amazing, amazing aces in the game, uh, that Garrett Cole and Shane Beaver, part of that class as well, as a clear top three. I think DeGrom has shown that he is even another level up and head and shoulder is just the best pitcher in baseball.
1: He is much watched T V and then again, this is never example Ellenby how they should market him as much as they can. He's a genuine person. He doesn't get flustered. He's never Mike Trout essentially. He just does his job and he does it well. And perhaps it's just the Mets and them not making the playoffs for the past couple of years and not winning in a lot of the starts. I think he's only one know in the season, which is hard to believe. But they need to market him so well, and he deserves to be recognized about being one of the best players in baseball, one of the best pitchers of our generation.
0: And he is kind of like Trout, too, in the sense that he's not like a super out there, flashy personality guy. He kind of just takes care of business and is quietly one of the best baseball players, certainly in the game today and making the case for all time as well. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's got the hair like Thor, but he doesn't have you know the, the expressive personality quite like him. He's not going back and forth with Trevor Bauer on Twitter. And that's OK. Not everybody is, is going to be the outspoken media personality it'd probably be better for baseball if him and trout were uh, help grow the game a little bit more with the excitement but you can't really fault the guys when they're doing so much on the field and certainly there is still a way for the league to be able to market them just off their on-field performance alone and I think they could do a better job at that probably does hurt him that he never really gets run support because a lot of folks are still looking at pitcher wins as, as one of the more They think important metrics in the game when we have more underlying data to show us that's not necessarily the case now. Uh, Wins maybe not the best performance, uh, a judge of performance, rather, but he's been giving himself run support this year, man. He's batting 545 at the plate, which he's like single handedly making the case that maybe we shouldn't have a a DH in the NL just yet.
1: I don't know about that. I mean, Overall, for pitchers, they statistically hit far worse than any major league hitter, and it was a bona fide success last year. I hardly heard any complaints. However, when a pitcher does do well, it's so much fun to watch because they shouldn't. You like oddities in baseball. That's the whole sport. The whole sport feels like an oddity sometimes, and when you see a pitcher such as a drum hitting 545 or pitchers hitting home runs and oddities such as Otani or unique baseball players. You can't help but love them.
0: And let the record show, we actually did get our first pitcher home run of the season tonight. That was Adrian Hauser of the Brewers. It was four weeks into the season before a pitcher went deep. I imagine uh, an NLDH probably would have managed to do that somewhere on the first day of the season. It took us four <laughs> weeks for a pitcher. Obviously, Otani not counting there. He's not a pitcher. He is just a freak.
1: He has been insane, and especially at the plate, too. I want to talk about more of his hitting than pitching because at the plate, this man has seven home runs, tied for second in baseball now. He's batting .300. a 1,000-plus OPS, and he is a bona fide hitter, middle of the order, who has great speed and does everything right. Now as a pitcher, he's racking up the strikeouts, but he gets hit around a bit. He walks a lot of batters. And I would love – I think he has the stuff, of course, because he throws a 100 of three-plus pitches who, to, to be a, an oppressive starter. But I don't, I don't ever think he'll be a top-tier ace. And right now he was very average, not in terms of strikeouts, but in terms of overall performance.
0: It is weird on the pitching side for him because he does have such electric stuff. You know, he's throwing 100-plus miles per hour. He's got filthy movement on the breaking pitches. He's got elite strikeout stuff for sure, as you mentioned. But, yeah, the walk's really something that plagues him as well as giving up hard contact. he's He just hasn't really been that effective as a pitcher. He was able to get his first win since 2019. Uh, it was last night or, or two nights ago, within the last couple nights for Otani. So flashing a little bit of upside there. But the other thing, too, is that the injuries that have been a problem for him in his young career, they – tend to happen on the pitching side. I know he needed to get Tommy Johns uh, a couple of years ago, and he's had a blister issue that keeps recurring this year. He's actually uh, ended up getting pulled from that start after five innings with, I don't even think the Angels called it a blister. They said it was like some kind of undisclosed finger industry, and he's been dealing with a blister all year. So it seemed like they were kind of just dodging the terminology there, like we were dodging saying no hitter for (laughs) Bumgarner. but. I digress. Uh, it, he's so amazing at the plate that it, it kind of raises the question: Is should he only be a hitter?
1: I think he can be a mid-rotation starter at best, maybe a number two starter, because if you're going out there and you're giving up, f- going five innings, giving up three runs or so, every now and again, there's a place for you as a starter in Major League Baseball, and I think that. As you mentioned, Otani has been injured throughout his career. So the experiment is still ongoing for him being a two-way player. But the Angels are being cautious with him. And MLB likes to point out how he's striking out batters, but also they don't point out how he's giving up runs. For example, they say, oh, Tony struck out nine batters. That's great. He also gave up four runs in five innings. Nice. That's not great. That's, that's not the type of stuff you see from an above-average pitcher. And he does that a lot. You don't see too many dominant performances from him.
0: No, and I like that you pointed out too. It is still kind of early in the experiment. Uh, We haven't seen a full season worth of starts for Otani yet. It was an abbreviated 2019, didn't see him pitch at all in 2020, and now it's been a handful of starts here in 2021. Glad to see that he hasn't had any serious injuries creep up yet this year, just the kind of minor scares, but he's going to have to improve his control for sure. I I think that's really the biggest thing, if he can limit the walks and then – Limit the hard contact by not missing a spot so much to where he's giving up pitches over the plate. And, you know, his, I mean, even if you're throwing 100 miles per hour, if you're putting it right down the middle, that ball's going to fly a long way if somebody gets the barrel on it. So, I mean, he's got the potential. It, it's obvious the upside is there for Otani, but I, I think he just, you know, needs to take a couple steps forward if he's going to be an effective starter. I would venture to say, you know, with how electric the stuff is, maybe he could be a bullpen arm, but. You just can't risk it the way he is right now he come in walk four batters and, and walk in a run
1: and it's crazy too because he'll have performances where he go four strong and I think it was in the start of the season where he just walked like three batters in a row and there was a wild pitch and he almost got injured afterwards so it's you're crossing your fingers every time you see him because you want to see him at sell on both ends no one's done that since Babe Roof, and no one's done that ever at the same time really so it's, it's very unique situation and you, everyone wants the best for Otani, but some realism has started to seep in where it's like, okay, can he really do both ends? Because he's a talented player, but hitting is definitely a strong suit.
0: And he's not in a bad spot, you know, like if you, if you have to give up one of them, at least he's like making a case for one of the very best hitters in all of baseball right now. He's, he's been so good. So it's not going to be, Terrible for him, terrible for the game if he does have to only become a hitter. But yeah, I would like to see the experiment continue for a little bit longer because that'd be awesome if he was able to just be like one of the best hitters in the game and one of the best pitchers in the game. And he's shown he has the potential. So we'll cut you a little bit of slack. We'll give you some more time, Otani. And it looks like the Angels are, for all that we've seen, still willing to do the same and keep that experiment out. But moving on, sticking around in that division, actually, uh, since we last spoke, Adam, when we were last on, we were talking about how bad the Oakland A's were, and they were, I don't think we said it in that many words, but they opened the season on a very cold stretch, and then boom, turned right around, win 13 straight games.
1: I was completely taken aback by that, and I also, with the fact how the A's, I don't think they had the best record in baseball even after that streak. They're like a game <laughs> behind at the Dodgers and Padres, which was hilarious, but very impressive for a team that underwent a lot of changes in the offseason, where they lost and they traded away one of their former All-Stars and crush Davis, but they still managed to have really good players, such as Matt Olson and Ramon Laureano and Mark Tana, who has stepped in the last few years. He, I think he leads all of Major League Baseball in runs, and you can see Jed Lowry, too, who hardly played for the Mets returning to the A's in in midseason form of course because why not
0: and I got him I scooped him up in fantasy baseball too so I'm hoping Jed can keep hitting I'm not super optimistic that's going to be something that continues for the duration of the season it is always injuries is the story for Jed Lowry why we hardly ever saw him play for the Mets but a great comeback story as it is right now and it's been a comeback story for the A's as a whole this season and as you mentioned coming back from All that movement in the offseason, losing all those players, they've looked great. And that's kind of been the story for the A's, kind of plug and play, next man up, or money ball as you have it. But they've been fun to watch, exciting team. And that division is looking like it's going to be fun again this year. The Astros playing some great baseball right now as well, at least offensively. I know the pitching needs a little bit of work. Uh, But they've got some upside in that rotation as well. So another fun race to watch. Other big bullet I have to discuss in MLB news this week, we saw Rockies GM Jeff British step down after seven seasons, leaving behind what's got to be one of the least desirable GM jobs in baseball right now.
1: And I think we talked about this before, or at least had this conversation with other people, but the Rockies are in a very strange place because Trevor's story will likely leave the team after this offseason, even, even though they'll have the all-star game there. Maybe that will convince him to stay on the team, but it probably won't because he just saw his former teammate on the left side of the infield get destroyed by the Rockies and not build a team around him and traded him away for pennies for, to, the, to the Cardinals. So they are not going to be competitive for a long time. Their offense is nowhere near where they were even a couple of years ago. The pitching shows flashed the leather with Herman Marquez, but that's essentially it. So to take over this team and rebuild them and try to do something with them, that's going to be tough for the next real GM of the Rockies.
0: Yeah. They're not in a good spot right now at all, man. I, you know, you already, I guess ripped off the bandaid of Arenado would be an optimistic way to look at that is you don't have the tough decision of moving him, but as you mentioned, a lot more tough decisions still looming for that franchise. And what do you do with Trevor Story? What do you do with an aging Charlie Blackman? Am I ever going to be able to recruit a pitcher to come and pitch in Coors Field? Probably not. It's kind of career suicide. Your numbers are going to take a huge dip or yeah, won't dip. Yeah, ERA is going to go up. I don't know if that counts as a dip, but it's it's just tough. They're in a tough situation and not a whole lot of money to throw around in that market. It's just not a great job, um, but you know, I mean, it's we've seen them have success—not uh, not huge World Series winning success, but I believe it was like two thousand five. They were in the World Series, got swept by would have been the White Sox,
1: two thousand seven by the Red Sox.
0: Okay, there we go. I had a Sox, and I was within two years. So yeah, I get some points for that at least. You do, <laughs> and you I know do. they got swept uh, halfway there at least. I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know who I was thinking of. Who lost to the White Sox two thousand five? Would that have been? They beat the Astros. Astros. There we go. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate the <laughs> no. Problem. Appreciate you correcting me on the trivia here. But yeah, they've got some work to do. Whoever that next GM is going to be, I don't really expect it to be a quick turnaround. But hey, maybe you're able to unload some of that talent they still do have on that team. Get some prospects to help accelerate a rebuild. But Uphill battle for sure, up mountain battle perhaps, if you will, with the Rockies there. But moving on, uh, just a couple injury news items to hit on here. Uh, We've seen Christian Yelich struggling to make his way back for the Brewers. He was out with back trouble. Was initially believed to only going to be missed the minimum ten days. Uh, He kind of plateaued in his recovery, the Brewers said. Manager Craig Council um, said that he wasn't getting any worse, but wasn't really getting any better. Uh, An MRI revealed no structural damage, but we're still waiting on Jelic to get back. And when he does get back, we're seeing if he is going to be the 2019 version of Christian Jelic or the 2020 version that was like a sub-200 batting average.
1: I think he batted a little bit over 200, um, if I am correct. But... Even in 2020, he wasn't a bad hitter. He still had an 800-plus OPS. So, sure, he was batting a little bit above the Mendoza line, which is nowhere near where he was in back-to-back near MVP campaigns, with them resulting, of course, in MVP. But the Brewers, if they have a chance at winning it all this year, and they are starting to look like they do, they need him to be in tip-top shape because their rotation and their bullpen is unstoppable. Having Corbin Burns and... Brennan Woodruff rounded the rotation is amazing and then you also have Adrian Hauser and Josh Limbaum who are doing surprisingly well so far that helps out and then the bullpen of course is as spectacular as ever to have someone who's in the lineup hitting every day being the cornerstone of the franchise they can go far they can almost easily win the NL Central which is a very weak division.
0: That it is my friend no arguments from from me here I am I'm a team that is part of that weak division part of the problem but yeah how amazing that rotation has been for Milwaukee so far Woodruff and Corbin Burns have been some of the very best pitchers in baseball Burns did get roughed up a little bit by the Marlins last night but he, he's still having an amazing start to the season. Freddie Peralta, too, has been great for the Brewers to start the year. That rotation has been far and away the best in the NL Central, as has the bullpen. It's crazy, though. They don't really have hardly anything going for them on offense, but they're still leading the division by a few games. And yeah, you know, They need Yelich to come back and, and spearhead that offense. Uh, if Keston Hira can start hitting as well, too, that would go a long way for them. Colton Wong has looked pretty good in the start of his Brewers career so far. But other than that, it, it's been kind of random production. Jackie Bradley, you got Abiciel, Garcia, Omar Novaez catcher has been decent for him. But that rotation, the pitching really has just been the story carrying those Brewers. But yeah, obviously having your MVP back, Christian Yelich would go a long way. Uh, We still see another outfielder trying to work his way back from injury, and George Springer still yet to make his Blue Jays debut. They were actually expecting him to hopefully be back tonight, Adam, but after running on the field before the game, uh, Springer reported still not feeling 100%. So we're going to have to wait for that Blue Jays debut.
1: The good news for the Blue Jays is that, as you mentioned, he's nearing his return. He's going to probably come back, I would expect, in the next week or so. And the AL East is weak right now. I don't think the Red Sox will stay at the top of the AL East for the entire season. And there's teams like the Yankees and Rays and the Blue Jays who are struggling. But if Springer can come back and light a fire under their team and be who they sign him for, for to that mega deal, they can have a great chance at taking advantage of two teams, two juggernauts who are expected to compete for the vision, who are not doing so right now and catapult themselves to winning some good games and, perhaps coming first in the division as well.
0: Yeah, they've got – I mean, even the offense without Springer, they have all the pieces there, and he had him to that mix. That offense is going to be darn near unstoppable. It, go, it always goes back to the pitching for the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. though. I know Ryu has been decent. Uh, he had a glute injury yesterday. It doesn't sound like it's going to be anything serious, but – the bullpen has been injury-ridden and has struggled a bit for them, uh, mostly injuries more than production. But you see Jordan Romano, Julian Merriweather have, have both gotten hurt, and that was, of course, after Kirby Yates got shut down with Tommy John. So they're on, like, closer number four right now, and maybe it's Rafael Dolis. It looks like it, I guess. But definitely bullpen could be something the. Could be the undoing for the Blue Jays, but it may not matter if they're able to score all the runs that that offense is capable of, and getting Springer back in the mix definitely going to help there. Another bit of injury news to cover over the last week, De Nelson was able to make his debut for the Padres, and it was pretty short-lived, though. He only threw two innings and then had to exit that game with forearm tightness not really surprising uh, and that given he had a ucl strain and and still does it he never had the the surgical option that he could have when he suffered that injury at the end of last year the padres instead opted for him to kind of soft rehab through it and hopefully get back and be able to contribute this season and that does not look like it's off to a great start
1: and I know I mentioned the Yankees again, but this reminds me of Masahiro Tanaka and how the Yankees did the soft rehab with him, but that was still a rehab experience. They still shut him down and it's rookie campaign, despite pitching so well for the Yankees. So they might need to do that once again with Lament. but they probably don't want to because they know that they're chasing the Dodgers or know that the NL West is an open race between them and the Dodgers and even the giants surprisingly as of late. But They want that extra factor that they have to understand this is the unpitcher. They can't do too much with and I'm sure they know that they're they're a mid-week team. They have all these resources. They didn't think that he was going to be able to pitch. They wouldn't do that to him. But it does seem like they're really rushing him back.
0: And they kind of did the same thing with Tatis, too, it seems. And he's come back and just lit the world on fire. So maybe they were right about him, but... I mean, that shoulder injury seems serious, and it was something that had recurred from spring training just a few weeks earlier, and it's something that had plagued him throughout his minor league career. It doesn't seem like all around they're being very cautious at all, which it, it's weird. It's like they think like, this year alone is their window, but I don't think that's the case. I think they're set up for the next, like, three, four years or so where, I mean, I don't fault them for going for it. This is certainly they're in their window, but I don't, I don't think it's this year or bust, you know, man?
1: I'm trying to think of like a good analogy for this, but essentially, the Padres have wanted to have this window for so long, and it finally came a little bit last year, and then they won the off season. So there must be this immense pressure on the team to perform and to take down the Dodgers. He's think about how good that would be for San Diego baseball and just for baseball in general to finally dethrone the Dodgers after winning the NL West for what is it now eight straight seasons. So there's pressure there, but they can't harm their young talent. I think they are aware of that. I think for are overlooking it a little bit, and I still, think, I still believe that their team's judgment is probably right in going with both Lamette and Tatis right away. However, just from a fan's perspective, it does look like it's too soon, and especially Lamette too, who just goes right back on the IL, but does not look like a smart move at all.
0: No. And and I guess they know their personnel better than anybody. They're the ones in the training room with those guys. And if they I'm sure both players are advocating to be out there on the field, they want to contribute, want to be part of that resurgence in San Diego. And I think what you said makes a lot of sense too, Adam, that there is a lot of pressure for them to go out and seize this opportunity after, you know, the, it took a while to, to get to where they are now. And now that they're finally here and they have the players in place to win a world series. Yeah. They want to compete for one. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I just hope that these guys are not having that that decision made at the expense of their their long term well being. I, I suppose that remains to be seen. But I, I think it's probably fair to trust the Padres in this situation and know that they're not going to put these guys in harm's way. And if if something does happen later where maybe they need to be shut down, it's not like you necessarily have to make the final decision right now. Uh, so. Something to keep an eye on, at least with San Diego there, but going to be an awesome race between them and the Dodgers. That brings us to our last segment of the show tonight, Adam, where we are going to talk about legit or nah, where (laughs) we break down whether or not uh, some some notable teams around the league, whether we think they're for real or not, basically. It it is what it sounds like, legit or nah. And we are going to start off with your sign in the background, Adam, the New York Yankees, legit or nah?
1: So, they're clearly better than a sub 500 team, and they still will probably end up as one of the best teams in baseball. But the flaws that we're seeing now are flaws that have carried over for really the past 10 years, That since winning the championship in 2009, where they are home runner bust. They can't hit well with runners in scoring position. They have the same mold, in most of their players, with the exception of Lameh, who is a little bit off right now, and Arshela, who Besides home runs, does not do a lot more besides that at this point in his season. So you're kind of getting a lot of low production from a lot of the team. They'll hit home runs here and there. And when they hit home runs together, then it works out well. But they're also getting a lot of solo shots too. They're not putting a lot of men on base they're used to. And then you see the rotation. And it's god awful after Derek Cole. There's a lot of talent there. And there's a lot. And you got to expect at some point, it's only April that one or two of those pitchers will break out and be a decent number two, number three starter, but it's not there yet. They can all rely on Cole and ask for heavy lifting out of the bullpen. So it's been really tough seeing that. And I would not be surprised at this point if they end up in second or third place in the East.
0: I think all around a good assessment there. You obviously know them better than I do watching a lot more Yankees games than I do. Uh, It's interesting. They kind of were ahead of the curve in that, relying on the home the home run, the long ball. That's something that is is very commonplace in the MLB today. And yeah, I guess that has been kind of trademark the Yankees for the last decade or so. But, yeah, I really do think the rotation is is the one big thing that makes it a question whether or not they're legit. I do think the offense will eventually get it figured out. There's just too much talent in that lineup not to, although, we haven't really seen any any trademark big Yankees injuries yet, except I know right before we got on the show we were talking about a little bit of soreness uh, for Aaron Judge, possibly something to watch. I, I know maybe it's nothing and miss a couple games or something, but yeah, I, I do think overall that offense is going to figure it out. But man, you almost like have to be start eyeing a trade for a starting pitcher at this point. And I do think they're not all after Cole going to continue to slump this bad, but. I mean, you haven't really gotten anything from Kluber yet, although he was decent tonight. You haven't gotten anything from Tyone. Montgomery's been pretty bad. Uh, Yemi Garcia looked decent the other night and then got sent back down to the alternate side. But I'm, I'm sure he's a name that we're going to hear from again at some point this season. Overall, I'd still say Yankees legit, but not certainly not a lock to, to win the division. They're going to have some... Have some competition there, which actually is a good segue to another team we want to discuss within the division. The Boston Red Sox have been on fire to start the year, and it raises the question, legit or not?
1: The Red Sox are a tough team because I called it for a while that the offense would be legit. And they have so many young players, and they also are bringing back the gang of Bogarts and Devers, and Martinez has been a great resurgence it probably was the fact that they took away his videos the season before. And yes, the Red Sox did cheat, but he also pioneered looking at videos and taught the entire Red Sox team to make the most of it. And that's one of the reasons why they won 108 games in 2018. So probably adjusting that was maybe the big factor why he didn't it sell in 2020, but it's one of the reasons why he's one of the best players this year. So I think from that standpoint they look good. And I think Avaldi, he has Always had great talent. Yeah, he's thrown 100, maybe with a flat fastball a little bit, but he can work off his secondary pitches. So I think he can be not an ace to the rotation, but someone who's dependable. I would say the Red Sox could be a team that finishes over 500. But with the talent that the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays possess, it still seems a bit hard to fathom that they would end up ahead of all of them.
0: I agree. Again, you you know the AL East better than me, man. But yeah, yeah I'm I pretty much on the same page with all those points. The offense definitely seemed legit before the year, and good to see that resurgence for them, especially J.D. Martinez. And I, I thought the whole like video review thing sounded kind of like a potentially lame excuse during 2020, but he has very much made that seem valid, the way that he's come back and, and just been an amazing hitter, the guy that really he was for the last three years prior to – 2020 season. That whole Red Sox offense as a whole rebounding in a major way thus far. Yeah, the rotation has been surprisingly good to start. You mentioned Ivaldi. I know Eduardo Rodriguez has been good for them as well. Sounds like uh, Chris Sale still a ways off, although he did report down to Florida to hopefully start ramping up to some mound work for them. So that's something else to keep in mind. If they're in contention uh, in July, maybe. Chris Sale comes knocking at that door, can help for a playoff push. The bullpen's been decent for them as well. Mostly Matt Barnes and the back end has, has had a nice year thus far, getting a lot of saves. I have him on my fantasy team as well, so I've been appreciative of that. I wasn't really expecting that. I didn't think the Red Sox would be all that great. But if I had to say legit or not, I would, I would say legit so far. I, I may change my mind if things start imploding really on the pitching side, but at this point in time, I would say legit. Who are we going to discuss next, Adam?
1: Let's discuss the national. Let's move over to your national league. And the nationals are a confusing team because they won it all in 2019. And then they somehow end up in the cellar, the NL East, when the Marlins put out in the cellar. So that was a surprise. And they also, their big three is no longer as imposing because Strasburg is injury prone. Corbin has them living up to that contract. Scherzer's a free agent next year. And Scherzer's already said he might accept a trade to another team by the midseason point, which as a Yankee fan, I'm like heavily breathing. <laughs> i just like, please give us some rotation help. Please give us Matt Scherzer. That probably wouldn't happen. They're, they have too much money to um, – or not enough money to probably afford him. But the fact remains that the Nationals are in a tough predicament, especially because the Braves are going to bounce back. The Mets are in first place. The Marlins are still very competitive. And the Phillies are looking as great as ever. So, and all the four teams, maybe barring barring the Marlins to an extent, look better than the Nationals. And then you have Soto, who's a bit injured. You have not really anyone else after him and Turner. And then the big three not doing as well. Well, there goes all your firepower. And that's one of the reasons why they're in last place right now.
0: And I actually do kind of lean more on the NA side for the Nationals, and like you said, too, it's pretty much Juan Soto and Trey Turner in that offense. I know they went out and made some moves in the offseason. You had Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber. Neither has really done all that much. They were optimistic Victor Robles would be able to step in and be the leadoff man. He hasn't really hit it all much for them either. And that, yeah, big three in the rotation was supposed to be the saving grace for those Nationals. And Scherzer's been good, but he hasn't. Necessarily been as dominant as we've been used to from him, which I mean makes sense. He's like 37 years old now, still been effective for sure. But yeah, you get Strasburg hurt again, which has been the issue for him for the last however many years. It's been a recurring thing. And Patrick Corbin kind of flat out stinks these days, man. I know the velocity has been down for him and he has not pitched effectively at all. He's got a I know sometimes the number of stats are a little bit weird early in the season. But he's got a very ugly ERA. Don't really love that bullpen all that much either. Brad Hand has been pretty good for them on the back end. But aside from that, uh, it's not really all that great. I wouldn't expect the Nationals to be a playoff team at this point, but I've been wrong before.
1: There just seems to be too many teams that are better than them. Too many teams that could, they, it could go their way you already have the Padres or the Dodgers as a lot for the wild card, probably the Padres. And after that, you have all the rest of the teams in the NL East, several teams in the Central, and maybe like the Giants, and very, very slightly the Diamondbacks, if everything were to go right for them. There's too many teams in the NL that could bypass the Nationals have already bypassed them. And that's why they seem not as legitimate, but they have so many talented players. They have too many brand name players, too much money spent on these players to be playing this poorly. So I'm hoping they turn it around. I don't see it happening though.
0: Yeah, at least maybe make a case, try and be a a fringe playoff team, but there are a whole lot of guys, a whole lot of teams that need to leapfrog and they need a lot to go right for them and they need a lot to go wrong for other teams, but hey. It was only a couple years ago when we saw the nationals off to a really sluggish start before they were able to turn around and ultimately win the world series so stranger things have happened wouldn't completely rule them out yet but not looking great uh, i want to flip it back over to the al um, to talk about the kansas city royals who have had an awesome start to the season surprisingly i know they did go out and get Several uh, guys, several acquisitions this offseason. You bring in Carlos Santana, Andrew Benatendi. Uh, You bring in – what's his face? The pitcher guy.
1: Mike Miner. Who's the
0: the pitcher? Yeah, Mike Miner. You went and got him. They made some moves in the offseason, um, and they've started off very hot. I think they have like 13, 14 wins now. They lost tonight to Pittsburgh. I think it's still 13 wins. But, yeah, like 13-8 and eight or something is the record. Is, is Kansas City legit?
1: I, think, I don't think they're legit. I mean, I want to believe in them because that would be so much fun <laughs> and just to shake up the AL Central and be ahead of the Indians and the Twins who are struggling right now. I would just find that hilarious, but I don't see that being the case because there's not too many players who have consistently stood out for them. There's been stretches of course, Salvador Perez had an amazing stretch to start the season, but he's cooled down. You see Mary field and Montessi steal plenty of bases. That's great. You see Taylor hit the cover off the baseball start of the season. That's awesome too. But I don't think we're going to see this type of production day in, day out. We might see this from the rotation, and someone like Brad Keller, who's been great so far, and he's, he can really step it up as a pitcher. You might see some flashes of all-star appearances from Carlos Santana, and this team might be able to win 75 games. But making the playoffs and being this type of team through May will probably be unlikely.
0: I'm with you again, Adam. I agree. I would lean on the naw side in the legit or naw question for the Royals. There's still a little bit of upside in that rotation, too, and Jacob Junis and uh, Brady Singer have been another pretty good start to the season so far, so it's not a wasteland by any means. They're not Detroit, who maybe have actually been a little bit better than people would have thought to start the year, but that's that's another story. We're not including them in the legit or naw questioning here. I think they're more obviously a naw, but it is a weak division. Uh, could be the, the saving grace for the Royals, but I wouldn't count on it. Um, bullpen has, has been interesting as well for them too. Mike Matheny kind of refusing to settle on a closer. Uh, Josh Staumont St- uh, appears to be the clubhouse leader for saves right now after Greg Holland has struggled. Uh, you know, Wade Davis kind of in that conversation too, a throwback Royals player to that World Series. But Ultimately, yeah, I, I don't think there's enough talent there for a sustained playoff push. So I, I expect they will fall off at some point, not to be pessimistic, but I think it's coming.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, but this is a throwback team. They have been stealing bases. They have some of their old guys in their bullpen. Perez is one of the better catchers in the game right now, so they're a fun team to watch, and Another team that's been really fun to watch and was building off some of their success from the last couple seasons by being a fringe playoff contender is the San Francisco Giants. And hitting-wise, they seem like they're there. You have Mike Yastrzemski at the top of the order. He's one of the best blooming players in the game. Posey has somehow turned back the clock <laughs> from like five years ago, which is hilarious. And then they have players who, such as Alex Dickerson and Mauricio Dubon, who are up-and-coming prospects that have been excellent for the team start rotation wise i'm not too sure but hey anthony despifani haven't heard his name in a couple of years just threw a complete game shutout alex wood was excellent the other day and gosman is still doing pretty well for the giants i believe so they have talent but they're not going to be coming in first or second place in the division and that's going to be a huge hindrance to their success
0: Yeah, it's wild card or bust for them for sure with how amazing the Dodgers and the Padres are. I'm glad you touched on the rotation. That is something that's been interesting to watch for San Francisco. For the last few years, they've taken on so many of these kind of project reclamation starting pitcher types, and they seem to be doing well with it again. You got Aaron Sanchez, you mentioned uh, Di Sclafani has had a good start to the season. Um, They they just seem to turn around pitchers careers and have a knack for doing that good pitching system. I suppose Johnny Cueto continued to look pretty good for them before he ended up getting hurt as well. Um, So, you know, I I think there's talent there, but not enough to be a playoff team. I think there's there's too many other good NL teams to beat out. Uh, Definitely whoever loses out between the Mets and the Braves. I like them better for a wild card spot. And I, I think possibly an NL central team could end up pushing for that spot as well. Probably more likely that it's going to be one of the Dodger or sorry, the, the Brewers or the Cardinals at this point. Um, but I don't know maybe the Cubs or Reds can try and figure something out long season. There's still some talent there as well, but we're not including them in this segment because they haven't given us much reason to believe that they are legit. Uh, but another fun West coast team who has given us a little bit of reason to debate is the Seattle Mariners who, with well, a very young, exciting core that was thought to be a few years away, uh, they've made a little bit of noise in the early season. And with still more help to come in the form of Jared Kalinic getting the call-ups expected here anytime. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, another talented outfielder for them as well, expected to get the call up soon. It, it, at least is worth mentioning. Could the Mariners be legit in a division that does look good at the top with both the A's and the Astros, but Possibly a little bit more room there than, say, the Giants would have in the NLS with the Dodgers and the Padres. I
1: still don't really see them as a legitimate team to make the playoffs because of their rotation. Sure, they have Marco Gonzalez. You'll have James Patson, who will possibly return at some point this season and could be effective. And they have Justice Sheffield as well. But I don't think that's enough to put them over the hump. But I think their offense has shown that they can really be a talented ball club. You have Dylan Moore, who's broken out. Mitch Haniger, who oh, has not been talked about for so long, is back in all-star form. And you really hope that he can ride it out because he was so, such a fun player to watch. And then Ty Francis, player who was removed from the pond race but always had great power, is one of the best hitters in all of baseball right now. So it seems like they have a lot of resources hitting wise. Pitching wise, I'm not as convinced by.
0: Hey, Kyle Seeger hitting well for them is too. Uh, you got another Kyle, Kyle Lewis going to be a part of that lineup going forward. Um, and then, yeah, the pitching is kind of more the question. I, I think really for the Mariners, it's we're looking at are they going to be legit for the next couple of years uh, down the road? More of a long, a longer time horizon, the legit or not, question for them. Yeah, I, I don't think it's really going to be much uh, much hope for a playoff push this year, but that's why you play the games. Maybe it, it could happen, but final team we want to discuss before we close out the show tonight, we have the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. We did talk about star pitcher Shoki Otani a little bit. I think we got Mike Trout's name mentioned a time or two in the show as well. We should mention Mike Trout every podcast for sure. He's amazing, but... The Angels haven't really looked all that great overall to start the season, and and they do have a a lot of talent on that roster. Some of the best players in the world potentially, certainly with Mike Trout and maybe Otani you can make the case. Albert Poole, certainly an all-time great, still hitting a little bit for them, but it's the pitching, man. It always comes back to the pitching for the Angels. And as good as Dylan Bundy has been, as much upside as Shohei Otani has, it's not a whole lot to get encouraged about after that.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I would say that the hitting seems to be one of the best hitting Angels teams in a little while, especially with the emergence of Jared Walsh and mm-hmm. still having resources like David Fletcher and Albert Pujols who come off the bench and has been hitting a little bit too. And then you're, of course, expecting Justin Upton and Anthony Rendon to produce at some point this season. They could bounce back from a slow start. So it seems like this good hitting offense will only get better. Pitching-wise, they're expecting a lot out of an untalented group past Otani, And as we mentioned earlier, tiny's not even the, the best starting pitching ba- pitcher in baseball. They're asking a lot out of Bundy, who could be reliable, but they're also asking much out of Canning and Heaney and Garcia. So that's a lot to ask out of that group. And then the bullpen's about average as well. And that's kind of why, okay, well, they're not that great, but this is a very wide open division. The Astros don't have the best pitching either, and they're a great offensive hitting team. There's a lot of teams who are very good offensively, but none of them really compare to the A's. And none of them can really reach the A's, it seems like. It seems like they'll run away with the division and all three will the rest between the Mariners, the Astros, and who am I forgetting? The Mariners, Astros, and uh, A's Angels. Angels, thank you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I blanked there. Thank you. Just had a brain fart, but I
0: was doing it too. I was like, I can only get four teams in my head. I'm like, there yeah. has to be five.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it's definitely not the Rangers, who, <laughs> but maybe they can ha- go for a wild card. But it's hard to fathom that at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's certainly always going to be a chance when you got Mike Trout on your roster, the the best player in the planet, or I don't know, the Tatis and Acuna are coming for him. I'd still say Trout at this very moment in time, but that's a debate to have for the next few years. And he's always going to give you a chance. And as we mentioned, all the other offensive producers they have there, but yeah, that's another team that could really use a starting pitcher at the deadline or potentially even sooner. If you go ahead and, and get more of that benefit over the course of the season. So be on the lookout for teams that are not legit, who could have some starting pitching to sell. Struggling to think of an example off the top of my head, but that's a storyline that I'm sure we're going to be checking in on as we get a little bit closer to the trade deadline. Uh, But if I had to say overall, I kind of lean more towards the angels not being legit just because that's, that's kind of been the story for the last decade or so is they've had good enough offense. And this could be the best offense they've had in some time, but it's the same old angels pitching to me. Uh, You got, New addition, Rysel Glacius to that bullpen. He's even struggled to, to find his way and he was supposed to be that, that lockdown savior of the bullpen, if you will. Uh, but we're going to need to see a couple steps forward for that starting rotation and that bullpen. If the angels are going to be able to make a playoff run could happen, but I would lean more towards nah at this point, but that is about all that we have for the show tonight. Thank you all for tuning back in to Exit Velo uh, number 77. And moving forward, just want to let you all know we are going to be targeting Monday nights uh, for the new release night. I know it is Tuesday tonight. I do know what day it is. Believe me, you all. I, I don't always, but tonight I do. Uh, but Monday is going to be the new game plan going forward. So we look forward to you all joining us on Monday nights. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. This is the Exit Below podcast presented by Back Sports Page. Until next time.